right, good morning, everybody. So good to see you. If you don't know who I am, I'm Pastor Maddie. I'm the kids' pastor, except sometimes when Pastor goes out of town, I get to preach up here. And I'm so thankful that Pastor Marvin allows me to preach up here and bring what God tells me to tell you. So this morning, I'm going to preach you a message that God gave me called In His Hands. And we're going to be in Jeremiah 18, only four verses, verses 1 through 4. So Jeremiah 18, 1 through 4. This is a really, really, really well-known passage of Scripture, but I think I'm, I hope to preach it in a way that you've never heard before because God gave me something that I think everybody needs to hear. So while you're flipping to it, I just want to say thanks to my mom, Miss Kathy, and my little sister, Faith. They're back there with the kids. My other sister, Jen, just had gastric bypass surgery. She's at home recovering. So she's at home. So the other little sister is filling in the back with the kids. Yeah, so they're all back there with the kids. All right, so let's see what God says in Jeremiah. It says, The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house. And there I will cause you to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, making something at the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again into another vessel, and it seemed good to the potter to make. God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your word. I thank you for who you are. God, just let revelation pour out of these words, God, that you gave me. Let it be a word that people can use and apply to their lives. God, have your way. Amen. So if you've ever heard me preach before, you know that I like to take, I'm an expository preacher. I like to take one little passage of scripture and just dig everything that I can out of it. And when I was praying about something, something to preach on, like, what do I preach on? What do I preach on? God gave me this passage. I'm like, God, it's only four scriptures. It's only four verses. I'm like, so? And you can't imagine how much stuff you can get out of just four verses. And that's why I love the Word of God so much. Is there anyone else in here that loves just, you just love reading the Word? Because every time you look at it, you get something different. Even if you've read it 10,000 times, you can still, God will give you a revelation of something new that's in there. And what I love so much about reading the Bible is that God uses His Word to show that He can use ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Look at all these great heroes in the Bible. In the back on Wednesdays, we've been talking about heroes of the Bible. And most of them, a great majority of them, started out as just ordinary people. Peter was a fisherman. That's nothing special. David was a shepherd. Again, nothing special. All these people were just ordinary people, and God used them to do extraordinary things. Because greatness starts out as ordinary. Nothing is born great. It becomes great. The Bible's full of ordinary people that God used to do extraordinary things. And Jeremiah was one of them. I love Jeremiah. He's one of my favorite characters in the Bible. Jeremiah is like up there on the top of my favorites in the Bible. But one thing I really love about Jeremiah is that Jeremiah was a very balanced person. Does anybody like balance? You like things you like things even. I'm pretty OCD, so I like things I like things even. I don't like things off. It bothers me. So in Jer Jeremiah, he's 
in one point in Jeremiah, he's saying, he's like really, really Pentecostal, right? He's saying, your word's like a fire shut up in my bones. Like, you don't say stuff like that unless, like, you're really on fire for God. But then if you look in Lamentations, he's crying. He knows how to go back and forth between he's compassionate, but then he's passionate. He knows that balance. And if you look in the Bible, all these great people, they were balanced. Paul. Yeah, he had, okay, he had a crazy life before Jesus. But his crazy life allowed him to have compassion for people once he was saved. All these people were balanced. So pastor likes to make fun of me that I'm a nerd. Yes, everyone knows that. I'm a nerd, and I, I don't care. I'm, that's just who I am. That's how God made me. So he, I know he's mentioned it before. I think it was a couple weeks ago I was watching back church, and he was he was poking fun at me saying that, that I'm a shepherd. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm a pastor, but I also have a little border collie. She's nine months old. And that breed was born to herd sheep. That's what they are bred for generations and generations and generations to do. So there's a sheep farm up in Fort Pierce, a few miles from my house, that I take her to every week to get that herding instinct out. And she loves it. And one thing I've been learning, the thing that the instructor tells me every week as I teach her how to herd and I learn how to be a shepherd, is there's something called the balance point. You have to have balance. I'm like, what are you talking about? What, what do you have to have balance with sheep? Okay. So sheep follow people. Sheep are afraid of the dog. So they're going to follow you wherever you go. But you don't want sheep all up on you. They'll try and knock you over. They'll try and run. If they get scared, they'll jump over you. They don't care. So you have to have the dog, the sheep, and then you at the correct distance apart. And when you're in that balance, everything just flows. You can tell, okay, the, dog, the sheep are going to go this way. That means my dog has to go that way. I'm going to go this way. That means my dog has to go this way. And there's a balance and a flow, and you begin to read each other. You read the dog. You read the sheep. So if at one point I need my dog to come up, I know that that's coming. And if I need to step back and let my dog do the work, I know because there's balance. If you don't have balance, it's all crazy. It's crazy. They're running, the dog is running, the sheep are jumping, getting their head stuck in the fence. That balance is so necessary. And as Christians, we need that balance too. You know, sometimes what hinders a move of God is that we're so caught up in our own selves, in our own Christian life, in our own church life, and coming to church and being touched by the feelings that we're, we lose compassion for what someone else is going through. We're so focused on, I need this, I need this, I need this, God, do this for me, that there could be someone sitting next to you that's trapped in sin, but we don't have the compassion to even see because our eyes are like this. So Jeremiah, he had compassion and he cried. Look at Jesus. It's Jesus. And yet when Lazarus died, he wept. Jesus was the ultimate balance point. Another thing I love about Jeremiah is that anywhere in Jeremiah and Lamentations, it always starts with, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. You know what that tells me about Jeremiah? That Jeremiah did not move anywhere unless he had a word from God. He would wait, and he would wait. Even if he wanted to go, you know, sometimes you get, 
you're in a place where you want to move so bad. You're like, why am I still here? But you're waiting on a word from God. When the time and the season is right, God will send a word, and that's your permission to make a move. You know, our joy and our pain is dependent on us moving or not moving without a word. Sometimes if you move without a word, it ends up being more trouble than it's worth. You're moving out of your own devices, not waiting on God. We get impatient. I get impatient. I'm like, God, why am I still here teaching at this school? Come on. Like, why am I doing this? Because God hasn't told me to move yet. And if I disobeyed and just left, I don't even want to know what would happen. So I will sit there and I would wait. Like, well, how do you get a word from God? Pray more. Right? How do you, you talk to people, right? You talk to God. You talk to God enough, God's going to talk back to you. When you put in the time and the effort, you say, God, I'm waiting for a word. I'm waiting for a word. Give me a word. Give me a word. I won't move until you give me a word. I'm waiting on you. God's not going to leave you hanging there. When God speaks to you, he doesn't speak from where you are. He speaks to the place that he's calling you to. So here's Jeremiah. He'd been preaching. He'd been prophesying. He'd been doing all this stuff, not moving until God tells him to. But now God has a new message for him. He said, Jeremiah, what I'm going to give you today isn't something that you're going to write down or I'm going to tell you. Today we're going we're to do an illustrated sermon. I want you to go down to the potter's house and watch. So, of course, Jeremiah obeyed God. I mean... He was probably like, okay, why am I going down to the potter's house? But, all right, God, I'll go. So he goes to the potter's house, and God takes the pulpit. He said, sit there and watch. And, you know, nobody can preach like God. People can try, but there is nobody in this world that can preach like God. So God's going to give Jeremiah an illustrated sermon and say, look, Jeremiah, here's, here's the story of your life right here with this potter. So I was looking at, pottery and like I'm not an artist I mean when I was little I used I had like a pottery wheel that you got at Walmart for like 20 bucks just like an easy bake oven and you do the little pottery or I went to friends birthday parties when that was like a cool thing for kids like girl parties to do you would go to the pottery thing and make the cups or the bowls and paint them and pick them up a week later I don't know if people still do that but that's what we did when I was a kid for birthday parties but they didn't have that back in the bible days right they didn't have the little places you could go to to make pottery for fun. They actually had to do a lot of work. So you couldn't just go to Michael's and buy some clay for your pottery wheel. They actually had to go and find clay. So the potter has to get the clay. And clay does not come from clean places. Clay is in messy, red, muddy fields. Does anybody like to walk through the mud? No. If you see a nice field, when you think of fields, walking through a field, you think of flowers and the tall grass and it's blowing in the wind. That's what people like in fields, but that's not where the clay is found. The clay is the dirt that people walk on, that people just pass by. People are trying to pick flowers and fruit. Nobody cares about the dirt. Everyone else would pass by the mess on the ground, trying to kick it off their shoes. But the potter could see what no one else could see. His eyes weren't fixed on what has already grown, like the trees 
the flowers, the fruit. He was fixed on a muddy mess on the ground that everyone else would walk by because it had no value and no use to them. Nobody wanted the dirt. Nobody wanted the mud. It's just an inconvenience, right? You get mud on your, your robes or your clothes or your sandals that they wore. Nobody likes that. The potter saw value within the dirt, just like God sees our value, even when we mess up or feel like we have no value. Everyone's been there at some point. You messed, maybe you messed up so bad, like, oh my gosh. I, I, how can God use me? Or someone treated you bad, and you've heard that lie so many times and so many times that your value of yourself just goes all the way down until you're in the dirt, and you feel like people just trample over you all the time, and nobody's even stopping to pick you up or see if you need any help. But the potter does something extraordinary. He reaches down and doesn't pick up a flower, doesn't pick up a cranberry or something that had dropped. He picks up a lump of muddy clay. Aren't you so glad that God, we have a God who will pick you up out of the mud and out of the miry clay? So be thankful that God reached down into your mess and picked you up. If the only thing that God ever did for you, if he never blessed you again, which he's not going to do, but if he never blessed you again, and all he did was pick you up out of your mess, that would be enough for you to praise him for the rest of your life. Do I have anybody in here that God picked you up? You were in such a mess. And if you, God had never picked you up, you would still be there in the dirt. If he never picked you up, You'd still be bound. You'd still be stuck. You'd still be feeling like you're this big. But God picked you up. And he didn't pick you up and just drop you again, right? Did the potter pick some clay up and just, well, whatever, and walk away? No. The potter picks up the clay and walks away with it. God doesn't pick you up just to set you back down and leave. God picks you up to take you to places that you've never been. He's not going to pick you up and say, well, they're not worth it, and set you back down. So imagine the potter picking up this clay, and he knows. He knows what it's going to turn into. You don't. The mud didn't. But God knew. The potter knew what that mud was going to turn into. So God's going to take you. The potter's going to take that clay to where it's never been. You know the devil can pick you up? The devil can pick you up, right? That's why we have things like alcohol. Alcohol will pick you up. Drugs will pick you up. That's why when people do drugs, you call getting high, right? That's picking you up. But you're not set forward when you do those things. You set back down in your mess. When you drink too much, you get a hangover. When you're high, you got to come down. You're not moving forward at all. So the devil tries to imitate what God can do to his people. But he just sets you back down in your mess. God will move you forward. What God has for you is so much greater than what the devil can give to you. So the potter is walking with this clay. And I can imagine him, you know, talking to the clay like, I don't know, you know, I know you don't know what you're going to be, but I've got all these plans for you. Like, I'll just pick the sticks out first and maybe a couple rocks, but 
You might not look like anything to anybody else. And people walking by will just see me holding this lump of, this lump of mud. But if they only knew what you were about to become, if they only knew, the clay doesn't know what it's going to turn into, but the potter does. And then the potter does something, has to do something weird again. He takes the clay into his house. I, my family is from North Carolina, so they're Southern. And I grew up with the rule from my mom, you don't bring dirt into the house, right? Anybody else have that rule? Mom has a clean house. If you're outside playing in the dirt, in the mud, it's on your shoes, it's on your legs, you try and run in the house, mom will be at the door saying, no, get the hose, <laughs> hose yourself off, take your shoes off, leave them outside the door, then you can come in. I don't want dirt in my house. In most houses, it's not appropriate to have dirt in the house. But what is it about the potter that he doesn't mind having a mess in his house? God doesn't mind a mess coming into his house. How would the potter make the vessels without the mud and the dirt in his house? If he had a clean house, there would be no pottery getting made. God doesn't mind having that mess come into his house. He's not intimidated or turned away by your dirt. If you want God to move, you have to be okay with God letting a little mess in his house, right? We can't have a perfect congregation. The mess has to come in so that the mess can hear the word, so that the mess can get shaped into something that the potter is going to shape with his own hands. To have a move of God, you have to be okay with getting some dirt in the house. If God is not intimidated by the dirt, then why are you intimidated by the dirt? I welcome the drug addicts, the people off the streets, the people who are stuck in adultery or drugs. I want them to come in. I want them, the mess to come in so that they can be healed, so they can be shaped, so they can be saved. That is our mission as Christians. Not to have a clean house, but we have to let the mess in to clean the mess up. The church isn't a fancy club. This isn't a country club. It's a hospital for the broken to come to. It's not, it's not a place where you can, okay, come in, everything's clean. No, it's a place that the broken are here. It's a hospital. You don't go to a hospital when you're well. You go to a hospital when you're sick. So the potter's got this mud. He's walking into his house. Now his house is probably maybe dripping a little bit, probably got mud splots on the floor. And then he sets the clay in the center of his wheel. I said out my family's from the south. And when I read words like wheel, it sounds the same as the word will, W-I-L-L. -L. So if I'm reading really fast, sometimes like my grandma's accent comes in my head and she's like, you always got to stay in God's wheel. And I'm thinking, okay, God, maybe this is a little bit out there, but this is what God's like, no, no. When I pick you up, I don't set you off to the side. I set you right down in the center of my will, W-I-L-L, -L, will. When God picks you up out of the dirt, he sets you right in the center. And when he picks you up, he said, okay, now it's time for you to do something. Some people who just get saved, they're, they're confused. Like, okay, well, 
I can't do anything. How am I supposed, I'm getting told, told to serve in the church, do this, do that, get in the word, do this, but I'm not qualified to do that. Yes, you are. Pastor Kevin wears a shirt all the time that I got him. It says, Jesus does not qualify, call the qualified. He qualifies the called. God will give you what you need to do what you need to do. So these people that get saved, when you're in the center of God's will, that's the time to do something for God. Before you can start going off to the side. Before you can start getting into the world and doing things you're not supposed to. When you're right there in the center, God's like, okay, go. Now is the time to go. What could God do with you if you would just do something? I know you hear it from pastor and and me when I'm up here, and I'm sure other people, about serving in the church. I know Mr. Warren just made an announcement about van drivers. You don't have to be qualified. God will qualify you. You have to give. You need to put in what you want to get back. How, is, how can we expect God to do everything if we don't do anything? It made me think of like, like a baby. Babies rely on their parents for everything, right? They need their help. Your parents help to feed them, change their diapers. But as they get older, they start to become more independent. That's how you know someone is growing. And just like a baby, that's how you can tell that a Christian is growing. They take their own initiative. They're not waiting for a spoon-fed gospel. They're not waiting to be spoon-fed. Don't be a spoon-fed Christian. If I can tell you anything, don't be a spoon-fed Christian. Grow in your own faith. Take the initiative. Don't wait for someone to tell you to read your Bible. Pick it up yourself. Don't wait for someone to remind you, oh, did you pray today? Oh, man, I forgot. Don't have to set a reminder on your phone to remind you to pray. Do it yourself. Take that initiative. That's growing in your faith. That's what God wants. God will give you more when he sees that you're doing more. So if you want God to do mighty things in your life, give something back to God. Show God, yeah, I can do it. All right, give me more. Give me more. God says, okay, I'll give you more. And then back to the potter. He sets it down. It's in the middle of the wheel. And the wheel starts spinning. Right? If you've ever seen a pottery wheel, it spins. Isn't it funny that sometimes when you're right where God wants you to be, your world starts spinning, right? Suddenly, everything's going wrong. Someone gets sick. You lose your job. This happens. This happens. This happens. Everything's spinning around you, and you're stuck in the middle, and you don't know what is going on. My grandma used to listen to this old preacher, and he used to say, when the devil starts messing, God starts blessing. I'm like, well, why? Why? Why does the devil start messing with us when we're right in the will of God? It's because when you're out in the world, not in the will of God, you're not a threat, right? If you want to have a nice, perfect life, go ahead. Live your life outside God. The devil will just slowly destroy you, but you won't know any better. You just live your life. You won't have any problems. But the second that you step into the will of God, you're a threat. You're a threat to hell. So if you want to do things for God, that's when the devil says, oh, no, I got to mess him up. This, this can't happen. I can't have this person doing this. Like, they're a threat now. He's got you on his radar. But what the enemy meant for evil, God does what? Turns it for good. 
And in order to make pottery, the potter needs the spin. Do you know that the devil can only do what God gives him permission to do? Right? So maybe some of these things are happening to grow you, to grow in your faith, to mold you a certain way. I always used to think, all right, like, if you don't know me, I've had, like, eye problems since, like, high school. I've had tons of transplants and eye surgeries, and I was blind and all this stuff. Went through a lot. I'm like, God, what did I do wrong? Like, I serve in church. I've been serving in church since I was, like, 12 years old. Once I hit seventh grade, I started teaching preschool back there. Like, why? Why? Why did you allow this? And I was thinking, I remember I went to a conference in college, and there was someone sitting next to me who was blind and couldn't see. And I'm over here praying for my own self, like, come on, heal my eyes. And God said, pray for them. Pray for them. You know what they're going through. You know how it is to be blind. You know how it feels to not be able to see things. Stop thinking about yourself and pray for them. The second I let go of myself and prayed for that person, my eye that I had been struggling with became completely clear. And the person next, sitting next to me was healed as well. But how would I be able to have that, that compassion or that, that feeling of, I can't see, you can't see, we have that in common, but I know God can do it. If God could do it for me, he can do it for you too. That was an evil that I thought I had in my life, but now I see it as a blessing because if anything happens with my eye again, I'm like, all right, God, well, I know you're using it for something, so where's the next person? So the devil can only do what God gives him permission to do. So the next time you're like, man, just think of what God has in store for you after. Think of how God's going to grow you through that situation. So it's spinning and spinning and spinning, and the world is spinning, and things are going wrong, and everything is crazy. That's how I feel sometimes when I'm out there with my dog and the sheep. You know how pastors use, like, their kids a lot in their sermons for illustrations? I don't have any kids. I have a dog. So I do everything with my dog, so I use her as illustrations. If you follow me on, like, social media or, st or anything, I just post pictures of my dog. Yeah. <laughs> I post pictures of her all the time. So when we're herding, the dog's instinct is to circle. If there's sheep with me in the middle, their instinct is to circle and circle and circle. And the sheep won't move. If she starts going a different direction, the sheep will go this way. So I let her do her thing. I let her circle the sheep and walk backwards. But if I'm getting close to the fence, sheep love fences. They love them. They'll get their head stuck in them. They'll stand there. They love fences. And if I see a fence coming up, I'm not going to let her do what she wants to do anymore. I'm not going to let her spin in circles and run around me. I get out a rake, and I stop her. I say, no, that's enough. Go the other way. That's what God does sometimes to the devil. He said, okay, that's enough. Pull it back. Pull it back. Now I got something for them. Something else comes along. Pull the chain back. Pull the rake out. Because why is the devil doing this? Why is he trying to get you to spin and spin and spin and spin and spin? 
Because where does God put treasure? In earthly vessels, right? Vessels of clay. So the devil's thinking, well, if I spin him, and I spin him, and I spin him, they're going to quit eventually, right? All this spinning, all these hardships are just going to get so above them, they're going to overwhelm them that they're just going to quit. The devil wants you to quit. But do you know if you don't give up, if you don't stop moving, the devil can't stop you, right? If you're moving and moving, say, all right, devil, you can throw this at me, but I'm still walking with God. I'm still walking with God. And he, the devil's going to get tired eventually. He's going to move on to a different tactic. So when something starts spinning all the time and spinning and spinning, if it's really windy, what's going to happen to your clay? If something's spinning and air is in it all the time, if the devil can't get you to give up, he'll try and get you to dry out. How do you know if something is dry? If clay is dry, it becomes stiff, right? It becomes unpliable, unmoldable. Dry Christians become the same way. They become unpliable, unmoldable. You don't like to hear it, but it's true. You used to be on fire for God, but now you just sit in service and do nothing. You used to be involved in all these ministries, but now you're too good for it. You used to be all clapping in worship, but now you don't like the song, so you criticize. That's a dry Christian. You're not able to be moved, even if everyone else in the church is crying out to God, tears flowing down their face. You're just sitting there like this. You're unpliable. The life has dried you out so much that you just sit. So if the devil can't have your treasure, the devil wants your water. The most dangerous thing to the devil is your water. Like, what do you mean? And the Bible it says that demons go through dry places. Demonic attacks can only come when you're dry. I'm like, what, what do you mean? Well, look at, look at the story of Legion in the Bible. Remember that? And the demons were saying, no, 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 no. Don't make us leave. Send us into the pigs. And the point I want to make isn't that they went into the pigs. But where did the pigs immediately go? To the water. Because even pigs know that demons cannot swim. When demons come across the water of the Spirit, they can't survive and they drown. That's why it's so important to be immersed in the ocean of God's presence. Because there is a well inside of you. So the deeper you go, the more you drown out. So when you're sitting in worship and you got something, you're saying, why will this not break out of my life? Why can't I get rid of this? Go deeper. Go deeper. Keep going in God's presence. Because if you're in water, the deeper you go, the more stuff you're going to drown out. If you've got stuff hanging onto your ankles and you're going into deeper, deeper water and that stuff can't swim, what's going to happen to the stuff that's stuck? The deeper you go, the more you're going to drown out. Do we have anybody in here that you just need to go deeper? Take 10 seconds. Stand up. Get moving. Go deeper in God's presence for 10 seconds. Come on, 10. Praise God that you're going to break something off right now. Think of stuff you got stuck to your ankles. Go deeper right now in God's presence. 
Drown out the demons that are stuck to you, the things that are stuck to your ankles. Keep going. Ten, nine, eight, seven. Come on, I feel something breaking off of somebody right now. Just go a little deeper. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. You just need to go deeper. Drown out the evil. The deeper you go, the less can survive. They can't swim in the water. The, sp- the water of the spirit will drown out all evil. There we go. I felt some stuff break off of somebody. The, more, the deeper you go, the more is going to break. So when you're sitting at home, try, struggling with something, go right back, deeper in God's presence. And that stuff will have to get off of you. It has no choice. It can't stand up to the water of the Spirit. It can't stand up to that well that's inside of you. Jesus paid the price for a reason. It wasn't so you could be stuck in bondage. So when you get deep in God, you go from the river of God to the ocean of God. You know, sometimes it's like a river, the river of God, the river of God. Well, I don't believe there's just a river of God. I got to believe there's an ocean of God too. Because where does every river empty out into? To the ocean. It doesn't say a lake of God because lakes are by themselves. It's a river of God. Rivers of God. Rivers flow into an ocean. So there's got to be an ocean of God too. But the thing about rivers, rivers operate with flow right? You can feel a flow of a river. Oceans, they have a current. You feel a flow. If you're in the river of God, you can feel the flow. But if you're in the ocean of God, you don't always feel the current, right? If you're in way, way deep water, you're not always going to feel that current that's pulling, that's operating way under you. It's not always about how you feel when you're mature in God. That's how you can tell if someone's mature in God, when it's not just about the feeling, but you know that God is operating. You're so engrossed in God that you get to the point that God can put you on to be his voice in the community. Like God put, the the fleece of God was on Gideon because Gideon was the voice. You get so mature in God that God will say, okay, I'm going to send you out. You feel my current. You feel it. You feel me. Go out and do this. Go out and do that. The only way to be unstiff is for the water of the word to be applied into your life. Right? What does a potter do if things are dry? He adds more water. Adds more water. So Jeremiah is probably watching him. Get more water. Put it on. Get more water. Put it on. And as he's doing it, it becomes moldable again. So when you're in those dry places, get into the word. Get immersed in God's presence. Even if you're not feeling it, keep pursuing. Keep pursuing because one day when you're sitting in church or when you're sitting at home praying and all of a sudden you start crying and you don't know why, that's because that word is seeping in and drying out the places that you didn't even know were there. But something else happens during a spin. Besides drying something out, something can get bent out of shape, right? You ever seen pottery? It's not, when they spin it, it doesn't start as a, 
is a perfect little cup or something or a bowl. It looks kind of wonky. It looks, it looks messed up at first. Just like spins in life can bend you out of shape. You know what we call that? We call that iniquity. But Jesus was bruised for our iniquity. And you know that some, a bend, like a bend in a pot and pottery, it happens from the inside out. You know what a bruise is? An outward appearance of an inward bleeding. So Jesus took that for us. He bent us and will reshape it. Sometimes all God needs to do is put his hand on you. So Jeremiah's probably saying, oh, look, at it. it's all bent out of shape. You need more water? And the potter says, no. All I need this time is my hand. Sometimes all God needs to do is put his hand on you. So when you're crying out saying, why am I still like this? Why am I bent out of shape? That's when you come to the altar and God will just reach out and put his hand on you. And as you're praying, as you're crying out to God, he's reshaping you. He's tucking in those things that are maybe pointing this way or pointing that way. Or you're bent over and God's straightening you up. Sometimes all God needs is his hand. So the potter gets the thing undry. It's moldable. It's pliable. He's fixing it so it's nice in a bowl or a cup or a good vessel. But then the text says something again. It says the potter laid it down, but the clay was marred in the hand of the potter. You can be in God's hand, but you can still be insecure. You can be in God's hand, but you can still have issues that are going on. But did the potter just decide to throw it away? Even though it was marred, even after all he had done, he'd put the water on, he bent it backwards, he shaped it, he molded it, but it still had issues. It still had issues. Nobody wants a bowl that has a big crack in it, right? He can't sell that. But did he throw it away? No, it do, the Bible doesn't say, well, he looked at the marred one and threw it away. The Bible doesn't say that. Did you know that your God is a dumpster diver? What you throw away, if you look at yourself and say, I'm too broken. I got all these scratches. I got nicks. I got cracks. No one wants me. And you throw yourself away. God is a dumpster diving God. He will go in that dumpster that you threw yourself in, and he will take you out. He sees the beauty of you, even when you don't see it, even when you've thrown yourself away. God will go into the deepest, darkest pit and pick you up because he sees how beautiful you are. God does not make garbage. And God will never throw you away. It says, the Bible says that the potter made it another vessel. And I read that, I was like, wait, what? Made it another vessel? Either something is it or it's not, right? But then I thought, well, what does God do to us when we are saved? He doesn't throw us away. We're still us. But by the time God's done with you, you're another you, right? You still look the same. You still have the same hair. You probably still live at the same house. But you don't look like that anymore. It's you, but it's another you. God still sees that beauty. 
sometimes we just need that reference point, right? To go back to. Be like, look at where I was. Look at all those cracks I had. Look at, look at how I was, I was in that dumpster. I had this wrong. I had a chip out on the side from what this person did to me. I was all the way low at the bottom of the dumpster, was trashed, piled on top. But God took me out and reshaped me into something. Sometimes we lose that perspective. We forget where we used to be. Sometimes we just need to take a minute to remember, look where I was before God saved me. Look where I was before he picked me up. And then once you realize that, you praise God. I can always tell who has really been in some mess, who has really been to the lowest of lows. Because when people start talking about how God picked you up and how you're new and how God reshaped you, they just can't help from saying, yeah, yeah, that's where I was. That's me. That's what God did for me. That's, and then you get like, you know, the religious folk, they're just like, uh-huh, uh-huh. But no, you can tell where the real people are who God really got out of some mess. Because they are not ashamed to say, yeah, I was there, but look at what God did. He didn't throw me away. He made me into something new. So I got one more point, but for this, I need you guys to stand. I'm closing, I promise. So I finished this. I finished this sermon, you know, the four verses. And God's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? You're not done. I'm like, what do you mean? I picked through every detail of this, getting the, getting the clay, putting it on the wheel, walking with the clay, the dryness, the spinning, the water. What else did I miss? And I look at it. I'm like, okay. What was constant the entire time? What is the biggest detail that you missed? Throughout the whole process, the clay never left the potter's hand. From when he picked it up in the field to setting it on the wheel, to molding it as it's spinning, to looking at it as it's marred, to forming it into something new, the potter always had his hand on the clay. So God sent me here to tell you this one thing. If you don't get anything out of this message besides this one thing, that once God picks you up, he won't put you back down again. You will never leave his hand, even when you're bent, even when you're dry, even when you're cracked and marred, he will always has, have his hand on you. He didn't pick you up just to set you down. He picked you up and he's got you forever. So God told me to speak to two people, two types of people this morning. First is people that have been in a mess. Maybe you've never even known Jesus as your savior. Maybe you think you're too messy. I'm not good enough for that. Maybe you threw yourself in the dumpster a long time ago. But God is here to pick you up and to tell you, to promise you that promise, just like the potter never let go of that clay that he will never let you fall out of his grasp. So with every head bowed and every eyes closed, like we do in kids' church, if there's anyone who maybe you've been far from God, you've been cracked, you're low, you've never given your life to Jesus, you need him to pick you up. Maybe you've done it before, but maybe you've gone away. Maybe that spin just got too much for you. 
and you wandered. If there's anyone in here like that, just slip up your hand. No one's watching. Everyone's hands, everyone's eyes are closed. The second person I want to talk to is someone who's dry. Maybe, yeah, you've given your life to Jesus, but you dried out. The world's got you down. You quit. You said, devil, this is, I, I can't do it anymore. God, I, I'm done. There's too much stuff going on in my life. And you're dry. Maybe everything's got you bent out of shape. And you feel like you can't do it anymore. I'm talking to those people. Who you just need, you need that water again. You need your, your vessel for those cracks to be filled in, to be moldable again, to be pliable again. If you're that person who just, you're in a dry spot, there's just so much going on in your life and it's hard for you to get into that presence. It's hard. We're here to help you do it this morning. God is all around us. If there's anyone that's in those dry places right now, I just want you to slip up your hand. If there's anyone that's dry, you're in a dry spot. You just need to be immersed in that water. We had a couple people that slipped up their hands to either give their life to Jesus, praise God, or to become renewed. So we're going to pray a prayer all together to cover all of our bases. Even for those who didn't slip their hands up, maybe they were just afraid. But God, as a community, we're going to do it right now. So I want you all to repeat after me. Dear Jesus... Thank you for who you are. Thank you for coming, dying for my sins. And thank you that you raised from the dead and you're coming back again. I believe that you always have your hand on me. I thank you for picking me up out of the mud. And I thank you that you're never going to let me go. From this moment on, I dedicate my life to serving you. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Hell just got a little smaller and heaven got a little bigger this morning. The devil is not happy this morning, but heaven is having a party. I hope you guys got something out of that. But before we go... We also got to pray for Pastor because he's up in Pennsylvania preaching. So just like he texted me this morning that he was saying a prayer for me. We're going to say a prayer for him real quick, all right? God, I thank you for blessing us with such a great pastor at this church, God, that week in and week out, he brings the word, God, and he's so compassionate, balanced, God, like Jeremiah, knows when to bring it and knows when to be compassionate, God, knows when to be passionate about something, but has the peace to cry with someone when they need it. God, I pray that you bless him, you bless his family, you bless the, bless the word that he's going to bring in Pittsburgh, give him safe travels home, and let him have a great, great visit with his family. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thank you, everybody.